This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas. But when Peter saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. How are the wind and the waves looking today? I appreciate the prayers this morning. Uh, sometimes, though, sometimes it's nice and peaceful. Peace is maybe like a river, right? And sometimes sorrows like sea billows roll. And when Peter looked at the wind that day, it was boisterous and he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Faith is the victory. That's how we make it through our life. Am I still a little, am I still a little loud? Not good? Okay. Faith is the victory. John wrote in his latter years, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Not just our faith in anything. Not our faith in the government, right? Not our faith in the next self-help book. Our faith is in the Lord Jesus. Hebrews defines faith this way from chapter 11. Now faith is the substance or the assurance of things hoped for. It's the evidence, the proof of things hoped not seen. There's something tangible to faith. Faith isn't something that just stays in your head. It's not just a thought. It's not only a belief. Faith lives out what is true within. If you want to know what your faith is, look at your behavior. About as simple as that. The evidence, the proof of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. The writer of Hebrews continues, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. How did the world come into existence? Where did we come from? How did, how did we get here? These are questions of faith. And by faith, we understand that we got here by the word of God. So that the things which are seen were made things, were not made of things which are visible, right? 
I can touch and handle a lot of this stuff. I can see this building and the world that we live in. But this didn't come from stuff that was visible. We believe that it came from the Word of God. Faith affects our understanding. It changes how we make sense of the world around us. It affects our perspective. It impacts how we explain what we see. What we see of the world, not only how we got here, but why things are the way they are. Right? It explains our faith, explains even where we think we're going. It affects our understanding, our perspective. Modern academia would, would call that worldview. How you view the world, how you interpret what you see out there. And not just that, but it also affects then, consequently, how we, how you, how I interact with that world that we see and interpret. How we react to the events that are taking place in the world, right? Could be global events. How you react, how you reacted to, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic, right? How, how do we react to Russia invading Ukraine? How do you react when you get to the courthouse at 435 and find that they, uh, the tax collection office is already closed and you just drove a half hour to get there. It affects that too. I didn't handle that as well as I should have. <laughs> but I... I, am, I intend to do better next time. And I, and I hope the officer understood that. <laughs> I want to look at a couple of examples from Scripture. Uh, the centurion's servant out of Luke chapter 7. A centurion's servant uh, who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him pleading with Jesus to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one for whom he should do this was deserving. For he loves our nation, they said, and has built us a synagogue. This is a centurion, right? Not a Jew. A Gentile. And not only that, but, I mean, uh, an officer in the, the Roman army that... Is controlling them, and the, the elders, the Jewish leaders, are still advocating for him. That says a lot about this guy. Then Jesus went with them, and when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to Jesus, saying to him, "Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you." Remember, he, so 
he is aware of who he is as a, as a Gentile, and he knows something of who Jesus is. And so he considers himself not worthy to approach Jesus. So he sends who in, in his place? He sends uh, Jewish leaders. But he says, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes to my servant, do this, and he does it. So he says, I, he says to Jesus, say, I'm, not, I'm not really worthy to come under my house. Just say the word. I, I know how authority works, right? See, I'm, I'm in the, the Roman army. I've got people I report to that tell me what to do. I do it. And I've got people I, I tell them what to do and they do it. I get how authority works. And I believe in your authority is what he's saying to Jesus. I believe in your authority. You don't have to come here yourself. You have the authority no matter where you are. You just say the word and I know it will be done. And Jesus responds to this, marveling at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent returning to the house found the servant well, who had been sick. Just as Jesus said. And we're, we're not surprised at all, are we? The, uh, the centurion believed he had faith in Jesus. And look at how it made him act. Look at how it changed his attitude and his perspective. His understanding was affected, right? So that when he looked at Jesus and he saw and believed that he was a man of God and having that level of authority, then it... it it impressed on him this attitude to say, you know, you, I, I know you don't have to come here. I understand. The woman from Canaan, interestingly enough, a Gentile herself, not a Jew. How about that? I did some searching and stuff, and, and maybe I missed something, but these two people, these two Gentiles, Jesus referred to as having great faith. And he didn't say that about anybody else around at that time. I think it was interesting. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But Jesus answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged Jesus, saying, send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. 
And she said, yes, Lord. Yet, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be done to you as as you desire. And her daughter was healed that very hour. You know, I, I look at this and I think, wow. You know, this is one of those, where I feel like it's kind of like a difficult passage for us to understand. Uh, coming from Jesus, who we, who we believe and know is full of compassion. And this woman comes to, to him out of desperation. <clears throat> Have mercy on me. Right, We know that the Lord is, is merciful. He's full of truth and mercy. But he ignores her. I count that there are three times that the Lord is entreated about this woman. Once when she first comes and he completely ignores her. Second, the apostles, uh, the disciples say, send her away. And he responds to them as well as to her, mostly to her. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's the second. I mean, you want to call it a rebuff? Then it, it, it is, I feel like. It's kind of a slap to the face a little bit, isn't it? You know, she's coming desperate. And he ignores her. Then second, no, uh, I'm not sent to you. I'm sent to these others. You're, you're a Gentile. And then the third time, you know, Lord, help me. She, she worships him, it says. And this is the third one, the most stinging of all, isn't it? It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. How do you recover from something like that? I mean, maybe she should just go home, right? She, she tried. Didn't she? She tried. She tried religion. She tried Jesus. She tried Christianity, but she got her feelings hurt. You know, I think it's interesting that Jesus does this, and he does it knowing what the outcome is going to be. And in so doing it, he draws her out on stage and displays her faith towards a nation that doesn't have the level of faith that she has. And for 2,000 years, we've been talking about this woman's faith. Praise God for that. And so after that third rebuff, what does she do? What kind of faith does this have that affects her understanding, or affects perspective of who she is before the Lord? Yes, Lord, I'm not worthy. But perhaps I can just, just hit the crumbs like a dog that falls from the master's table. That's the great faith that we're looking for. Three times. A persistence paid off, didn't it? What was her faith, I think, is not 
not just, yes, I believe that Jesus can heal, but I know, I know that there's no other answer. How tightly are you willing to hold on to Jesus? You know, is it just until something else comes along, something better? Because this woman doesn't think that there's anything better. She's willing to take it on the chin so that she can get Jesus. Because she knows that's the only solution. That's what she understands. Her faith affects her perspective, her understanding. And it changes her behavior. It changes her attitude. You, you can't just plan to respond to this, these kind of things, right? That has to just come straight from the heart, the way it comes out of her. And the only way for that to happen is for their faith to be there. This, her faith isn't just about knowing all the right answers. It's genuine. And maybe, maybe that's what the Lord expects from me sometimes. To hit some hardships. You know, to endure over some amount of time. To encounter obstacles and to endure through them. I like, I like, I mean, you, I, you can just line it up in your scriptures. But Jesus answered her, not a word, right? So she comes to him, but Jesus answered her. You know, no. And then again, but he answered, no. But he answered, no. Three times, but he answered. And then the fourth time, then Jesus answered. How's your faith this morning? Is it, is it great faith like the centurion, like the woman from Canaan? Is it a little faith like Peter's? Have you ever felt like the father of the demon-possessed son? You know what I'm talking about, I, I suspect. Lord, I believe. Help, help my unbelief. I feel like that's kind of how I am at times. I believe. But I, I let like an attitude of disbelief creep in. Right? There's a little bit of that in there. So when I say something, it's something that you know slips out that doesn't really sound like faith. You know, it doesn't sound like the, the woman from Canaan. You know, we just kept slinging shot after shot of true faith. True, you know, bullseye hits. Now, I, I, I sling something out like the father of the demon-possessed son. If, if you can do anything, he's like, wait, wait, sit. I'm, I'm sorry, what? Did you say if? If you can? If you can believe. If anything, is, all things are possible to him to believe. Oh, you know, we get, we, we kind of get called on it, right? Sometimes I need that. We, we all need that. We need we need to get called on those things. Oh, you're right. You know, that's not very, that's not a very faithful thing to say. That's not a very faithful attitude to have. Lord, I, be I believe, Lord. Help my unbelief. 
sometimes called the Hall of Faith, a clever nod to our term, the Hall of Fame. I actually really like that, the Hall of Faith. But sometimes called the Hall of Faith. Hebrews 11 uh, recounts several examples of faith, and I'd like to briefly examine some of those this morning, uh, just to highlight some of the different aspects of faith, uh, to consider some of the different ways that faith affects us. Um, so still in Hebrews chapter 11, but verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead is still speaking. Still speaking to us today. Faith affects our offerings. How we offer to God affected by our faith. It's not just the thing. It's our faith behind the thing. Right? And that makes a difference. Abel, of course, as we know, offered the firstborn of his flock. For one, faith brings the first. It brings the best. It doesn't bring the seconds. It doesn't bring the leftovers. How are you doing with your Bible study time? You know, it's a struggle for me. Finding the time when I should be making the time. When it's the other things that should be finding their time around the important, right? It's the tyranny of the urgent. Just don't have time. I love, uh, there's a, a speaker that I've uh, mentioned before. And he says, you have time to do what God wants you to do. I appreciate David's heart. When he had... Uh, Call for a census of Israel. It's the wrong thing to do. He did it. He's immediately sorry he did it. God was upset. There was a plague sent upon Israel, and he goes and he seeks to end the plague. The prophet is sent. You need to go to this threshing floor and offer a sacrifice. So he shows up, and the guy that owns the area, the, the threshing floor, he, he sees him coming. He sees the king coming to his house, right, to his place. And so he runs out there and he's like, hey, you know, <laughs> falling down, what can, I, what can I do for you? And he says, I'm, I'm here to make an offering uh, to end this, this plague. And he says, hey, great, the threshing floor is yours. I've got some oxen here for the sacrifice. They're yours. The yoke and these implements of wood, you know, that, you know, basically tools, right? So we're we going to take them to burn them. They're yours too. I really appreciate that guy. Um, and I won't try to pronounce his name, <laughs> but he says, it's all yours. You take it. I give it to you freely, eagerly, clearly. Remember when God said that of David, he has a, a heart, a man after his own heart? This is, this is, this is one of those things why. Because David, I mean, he's commanded to give you know, X, Y, Z, you know, this, these things, step, step one, two, three, do these, so he could do it. Somebody else might have said, okay, you know, that, that checks the boxes, right? It checks the boxes of what I'm supposed to offer to God. But 
David sees that and he says, nah, you're not giving me that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for all this stuff because I'm not going to offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Isn't that a wonderful heart? I mean, where, where is that in the instructions? You know, it, it wasn't there. The prophet didn't say that. That has to come from the heart. That has to come from a, a deep belief about who God is and about what God accepts as an offering. And so David pays for everything and offers the sacrifice and God accepts it. God accepts his offering. It affects our offering. And contrast that with Nadab and Abihu, right? I mean, they didn't even check the boxes, did they? They treated it as like, well, this is good enough. They put some, well, there's this fire from here. Fire's fire, right? I don't know, maybe they pulled a lighter out of their pocket or something like that. But they didn't get it where they were supposed to get it from. Put strange fire in there. Put the incense on there. It's burning. It's good enough. It's not good enough. Is our faith the, the faith that kind of brings a, that isn't good enough. You know, I'm coming to church. You know, I'm checking the boxes here mostly. God's not that strict about all this stuff, you know. God responds after he strikes them dead. Fire comes out and consumes them. Burns them to death. He says to to Moses and Aaron. Aaron, Nadab and Abihu's father, he says to these boys, his own father, he says, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. And this is like, this is kind of like the first Thing. They hadn't even gotten used to like getting in, in the rut of serving. This was just they were doing it the kind of like the first time, and first time they do it, they're not even doing it like God told them to do it. I wonder, you know, after I made offerings to God, prayer or whatever, for the thousandth time, do I start to get a little sloppy? Do you know, I start to think of it a little too casually? I'm not here to put artificial restrictions on you know, offering, say, prayers to God. But do we treat God as holy when we offer our prayers to God? When we, when we, when we put our dollar in the plate? Right? When we When we, when we come here and worship and sing, do we treat God as holy? It's a reflection of your faith. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken away, he had this testimony that he pleased God 
But without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Faith pleases God. And consequently, it saves from death. Without faith, pleasing God is just straight up impossible. We must act by faith. If we're not, we're not pleasing God. I look to the New Testament when Paul is right to the Romans. And kind of, you know, kind of there's a struggle between can I eat foods offered to idols? Can I not eat food? You know, this, you know this Christianity has spread into, you know, well into the area, uh, the nations of Gentiles and stuff. And there's a whole different, I mean, it's just a different life in those countries. Right? I mean, uh, paganism is just part of society. God called those people to, to come away and, and live in Jerusalem? No, in fact, it, God says the opposite, right? He, he tells, tells them to go. Go <laughs> into all the world. Enter, you know, inject yourself into those cultures of paganism and, and idolatry. And shine the light of Christ there. And take your faith with you. And, and there's this conversation almost he has about, hey, you, you are strong in the faith. You know, don't look down on those who are weak in the faith. If, if they have an issue with eating food sacrificed to idols, then don't eat food sacrificed to idols in front of them. Says you have a strong faith, you know that the meat is just the meat. But you know, if you know that it's not to them, then don't just chow down on it in front of them like that. That's not living by faith. You're not loving your brother that way. He says, regarding all this little stuff, it's like it, we, we have liberty in Christ. We have great liberty. But it's not so that we can just, you know, selfishly enjoy all that the world has to offer us. It's liberty so that we can love one another. I mean, I won't go there. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with God, godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. Faith prepares. It, it, it prepares. It's future looking. We'll see that, uh, some more of that later. But because it leads in a certain future, not only does it, you know, it prepares for it now. Noah being divinely warned, you know, he believed it. And that faith caused him to prepare and prepare for years, right? I mean, art, that's not just a weekend project. <laughs> it's, it boggles the mind how big of a project that was. Decades and decades building the ark. And 
that was because of his faith. Faith prepares. I know that among us, we have, you know, a lot of children. And we know that we're not going to be around forever, right? We know that they're not always going to be living in our house under our direct supervision. So what do we do? We try our best to prepare them, right? Educate them, teach them, show them. Be good examples for them. Pass our faith on to them. We're trying to prepare them. We, we, we prepare to depart from this life, right? We live holy lives. We, we try to live a life of faith, pleasing God, so that when this life ends, we are prepared for eternity, eternal life. It's, it's, it's not about, and the opposite of that would be not thinking about it, right? I don't want to think about that. It's that's scary, or it's depressing, or it's uh, maybe we want to maybe we want to insult it somehow. It's, ah, it's morbid to think about death. That's just that's that's just beneath me. You know, that's not a uh, uh, a modern thing to fixate on. It's not healthy. It's the truth. Right? Our faith leads us to prepare. It prepares. Uh, we prepare our homes to make guests feel welcome. We pray before going to work in the morning. We prepare uh, a lesson to share on Sunday morning. Right? That was, that was an easy example for me to come up with. On the first day of the week, from 1 Corinthians, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that no collections uh, be made when I come. Right? Lay aside something on the first day of the week so that there is prepared funds for necessary expenses, right? I'll leave it real general like that. The, the focus, though, is preparedness. From Ephesians, let him who steal stole no, st let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, so that you can have you know lots of fun toys, you can have lots of money. No, that you may have something to give him who has need. How about that? That's a perspective of faith, right? The world doesn't have that one. Let's labor so that we can be prepared to help those who are in need. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing where he was going, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Faith is obedient. 
Faith obeys, right? Whew. You know, sometimes we, we, we skip past some of the verses, I think, you know, in the scriptures about, you know, rejoice in the Lord always. And that's not a suggestion. But an obedience of that comes from where? It comes from being obeyed. Do we have the faith that rejoices in the Lord always? Do we have faith that loves our neighbor as ourselves? A new commandment I give you. Jesus raising the bar as if that wasn't already pretty high enough. It says, now a new commandment I give you. That you love one another as I have loved you. That should scare you a little bit, honestly. That's a high bar. Our faith is what leads us to pursue that lofty commandment that I would love even Brian as Jesus loved me Faith is obedient despite unfamiliarity. Abraham didn't know where he was going. He didn't know what the land was going to be like, but he went anyways. Obedience is easy when we know all about it, isn't it? That's why I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know how to do that. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know anything about that. Does God call you to help in some capacity? Obey. I'm not really sure. I know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Obey anyways. Faith is obedient despite a permanent lifestyle change. Right? Abraham, he wasn't coming home. No, that's where you're going. It wasn't temporary. Faith leads us to live a life that's different. It's different than what it was before. The Israelites, they left Egypt, right? God said, there's no going back. It's all new from here on. It's future looking. That was one of the big things that, that I think really, really impacts me. It's so future looking. Abraham left. Uh, I mean, if you look, you can just history research and see, you know, probably like where Ur was, the Chaldeans, and, you know, cities, you know, and permanent, sort of, you know, permanent as they can be, structures. You know, we live in, you know, permanent, semi-permanent structures today, and Abraham left all that and lived in a tent, you know, and roamed about as a nomad. That's, that's different. The Bible says he's looking to the future for something better, for a city made by God. Foundations built not with human hands, but by God Himself. 
I like this one. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, how would you like it if, if the Bible said that about you in your old age? Ah, he's as good as dead. <laughs> yeah. From him who is as, as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Maybe, maybe you're tired. I know I get tired sometimes. You know, sometimes, I don't know, maybe I felt on occasion like I feel like I'm just as good as dead. But our faith causes us to receive strength. I mean, Sarah was no spring chicken herself, right? She was, I mean, from our standards, it's like, okay, here, you know, childbearing years are right here. And she's like, way out here. It's just to the point where it's like, okay, we, we passed the point of, impossible decades ago, right? Those years, so that's gone. And she had, in a way, you know, she had come to grips with that as reality and seemed, felt like she kind of continued to grieve in that capacity uh, just on, but, but she received strength. And I think this is interesting because, you know, we go back to the Old Testament and we read that account there and we see, we see Sarah responding how? We, we, we don't, right? She laughs. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I'm going to... Actually, I'm, I'm going to go back and, and pull back a little bit more than I had planned. Um, Genesis 18. So... Abraham sees the Lord, these three coming, as they were sitting uh, in the tent in the heat of the day. He lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. And when he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, bowed himself to the ground. My Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, I do not pass by. And he invites them in for a meal. He runs to Sarah, quick, get, you know, you know, makes, makes some bread. He gets a, a, a calf to a servant who prepares it. And he goes and he tends to these three while they eat. And, and finally, the Lord says to Abraham, and then let's see, where am I? Verse 9. Then they said to Abraham, Where is Sarah, your wife? So Abraham said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And about this time next year. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. I think this is interesting. I just want to pause there and point out just a few small details, right? 
So they're sitting there, they're eating. Sarah's been, you know, got bread and stuff ready. Who knows what she's doing now? She's inside the tent. Maybe she's cleaning up or doing some other things she was, she was doing before they got there, interrupting her day, right? And the Lord says, hey, where is Sarah, your wife? Do you know where, where she's at? Anytime the, Lord, the, anytime the Lord asks a question in the scriptures, if it, keen to understand, I mean, why would he ask? Because he knows, right? Well, Abraham says, yeah, she's here right here in the tent. But, but what does that do to Sarah? It gets her attention, doesn't it? She's in the tent. Who knows what she might be doing busy in there. She hears her name. Hey, where's Sarah? What? She's here in the tent. Now she's listening, isn't she? I don't know what she was doing before, but if she's not listening. She is now. In fact, the scriptures say as much. Now, Sarah was listening in the tent door, which is behind Abraham. And so the Lord says that, you know, I'll return this uh, about, about this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. You hear that, Sarah? <clears throat> and Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After have I have grown old, shall I have such a pleasure, my Lord being old also? It's like she scoffs at it. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's that kind of faith slip that I was talking about earlier, right? With the man with the demon-possessed sign. Well, if you can do anything. <laughs> uh, whoa, I don't know about this. And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? I mean, Sarah's not visible, right? But he's like, he's, he's pulling the God card now. It's like, yeah, I, I know Sarah's back there. In fact, I know what she's thinking too. And she thought that was funny. Why did she, why did she say that? Is, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, so Sarah speaks up. I don't, I don't know if she's still inside the tent. Maybe she is. Because she, she's, you know, since she's scared now, right? She's, got, she's been called out, right? So does she pop her head out of the tent? I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's still in there. And she's too scared to come out. And, but she says... I did not laugh. I, did, I didn't laugh. For she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Sometimes I need that because I make those same little slips, right? But by faith, I can receive strength to get past those, just like Sarah did. Because there was a change of heart with Sarah, right? I mean, we know that from Hebrews. She judged him faithful who had promised. Maybe it was a lot to do with, uh, you know, her husband. You know, we, our faith affects our spouse's faith, right? I mean, we're not two completely separate individuals that never interact with each other, right? God joins us together as, as one. You know, one man, one woman, boom. You're one before the Lord. That's for a reason. 
but by faith we receive strength. And faith is strengthening even to absurd ends like that. Past a little bit there. Uh, I do want to mention this. By faith, the Israelites passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. And by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were encircled for seven days. Sometimes things work out or work in ways for people with faith in ways that they don't work. For people without faith. I just want to say that. You know, and I can't come up with all the different ways in, in which that, that happens, but we have two examples here that are different examples. You know, the Israelites go through the Red Sea and because of faith, by faith, Hebrews in, you know, explains to us, whereas the Egyptians, they didn't have faith, so they could believe. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down. They were in circle for seven days. Right? How many? That's like some kind of Bible trivia question. How many times did they walk around the walls of Jericho? And, you know, seven times. And all thirteen. You know, oh gosh, maybe they walk around at once a time for six days first, and then seven, seven, six, thirteen. Okay. That's not a that's not a typical military strategy, by the way. Just walk around your enemy a bunch of times, and then their defenses will collapse and leave themselves wide open. That's, you know, you're not going to find that in your military schools and uh, tactics. Sometimes things just work out because we have faith, because we obey, because we please the Lord, because we have prepared by faith, because we have strengthened ourselves by faith and received that strength. And what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and also of David and Samuel and the prophets. Hey, you should, you, should, you hear those names and you're like, some of those guys... You know, maybe all of those guys, they weren't perfect, right? I mean, Samson kind of stands out to me. It's like he was not a bastion of Christian morals, right? But he had faith, didn't he? And at the end, he lived it. He lived his faith out at the end. All these people who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to fight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings 
and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. Faith enabled them to do all of that. It's the hall of faith. Now it's our turn. It's your turn. To take our place in a long line of believers who had laid down a legacy of faith. This is our time. To take up that legacy and continue it on. One more chapter in this hall of faith to join their history, to become part of that history, to extend our history one day at a time. And it won't be easy. Some days maybe it is, right? Some days it is easy, and some days it's hard. And sometimes weeks are hard, and months are hard, and sometimes years are hard. But faith gets us through. So, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary in doing good and discouraged in your souls. Lest you become weary and discouraged. You know, uh, I'm reminded of the Israelites leaving Egypt. There's this grand moment, very much like in our baptism. They leave Egypt and they pass through the Red Sea, right? There's Egypt behind them and the promised land in front of them and they gotta go through the water first. But they go through it and on the other side of that water, as it collapses back across their enemies, and there is now an ocean in between them and Egypt, and all is calm and peace, whereas just moments before, there is the rattle of, of uh, chariots and horses and spears and swords and battle cries and certain doom. Now it's quiet. Maybe all you hear is the waves of the ocean on the shore. Peace 
salvation. But that's not the end, is it? He got a whole walk ahead of him to the land of promise. And that's us. We're in that walk right now. Marching to Canaan's land. And it's going to be tough at times. I mean, they got out of there. No sooner did they get out of there, what? They, they get thirsty. And they find some water. Oh. But now it's poison. It's, it's just bitter. It's undrinkable. Sometimes I feel like it's like that. Oh, you know, here, God has provided. And it looks and it's like, oh, this isn't the answer at all. I thought this was going to be the answer. And it's not. We get discouraged. Some of them wanted to turn back. Gotta be like that some days. But we keep going. We keep going because of our faith. Do the, the, the dry, thirsty parts where when we're hungry, God provides the manna. The water from the rock when we're thirsty. We're going through, you know, sometimes it's treacherous places. We're having to battle other things. Foreigners and other people groups that children Israel have to deal with. They weren't soldiers. Right? They were slaves. God got them through and marched all the way to the promised land. Don't turn back. Don't turn back. I think we, we have their experience of seeing how God looked at on those that turned back at the end. Their fears overcame them. But we can remember our experiences, right? This isn't the first, this isn't, today isn't our first rodeo, is it? We remember all those previous days. Those memories, they're blessings. They help get us through because we know that the Lord has gotten us this far. Don't forget that. The Hebrews writer also says in the previous chapter, remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you had endured in a great conflict of full of suffering, like they had it pretty rough. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution, and other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison, and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. That's faith, isn't it? I challenge all of you. If your, if your property gets confiscated, accept it joyfully. <laughs> right? I hope it doesn't happen. But they, we're talking about, hey, this is, a, this is a great cloud of witnesses. You suffered along with them. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. So that when you have done all, when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised because in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. And, but my righteousness, one, will live by faith. And I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Faith exists over time. It's not just a moment. But it's over time. The time that we've been given. Storms, 
times of drought. Will your faith outlast the storm? Will it outlast the drought? Or will the storm of the drought outlast your faith? But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, Hebrews writes, but to those who have faith and are saved. So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So I hope your faith has been strengthened in the hearing of God, the Word of God this morning. If you feel like you want to come forward and have the church pray for you to renew your faith, we welcome you. If you want to be baptized, what did Ananias tell Paul, Saul at the time? Now, what, what are you waiting for? says, God has called you to do this, all of this for him. This is what, it's it's going to be rough, Paul. Okay, it's going to be rough. But this is, this is what God's called you to do. So now, what are you waiting for? Arise, be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So if that's what you need, prayers, whatever. Talk to us later. Grab one of us. What? We're here. We're a family. We're equals. But if you need to come forward, come at this time while we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479 647 2658. May God bless you.